This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today, another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Great guest for you today. This is a guy, first one I've had on the uh, on the show as an appraiser by trade. He's got almost 20 years in the industry, works nationwide. He's based out of Wisconsin. 10 years really focused on MHP. He works at BBG Incorporated, one of the bigger national appraisal shops. Please help me welcoming Eric Hansen. Eric, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, appreciate being here. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to talk to people that are kind of in, in the industry and, and understand the, the language that we speak, which can be foreign to, to some people that aren't used to the asset class, but yeah, it's great to be here. Well, great, I wanna hear more, I wanna hear more about you and just industry in general. I, I ran into appraisal one time, appraiser one time, and and this was his this was his sales pitch or his elevator speech. He said, "For a reasonable fee, I will give you a reasonable appraisal. For an inflated fee, I can give you an inflated appraisal." <laughs> none of the bankers in the room thought that was funny. I thought it was hilarious. But well, that's great. Uh, well, they as, do this, or the as same you know, they, they now keep the borrowers and the appraisers kind of at arm's length and for good reason. But at least here today, I get access to an appraiser. So tell us a little bit more about your background and, and what you do now and we can go from there. Yeah, well, our fees are the same, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. So I, I don't care where it comes <laughs> out. But no, uh, uh, kind of brief introduction. Yeah, I've been appraising for almost 20 years now. Started with a, a couple different uh, local offices here in Wisconsin, and I I got into the MHP space uh, sort of by accident about ten years ago. Just happened to be working for a couple lenders that were starting to get in the space more seriously, and they had some borrowers that were very active, both buying and selling. So that's how I kind of got introduced, and it just sort of took off from there. Uh, in general, there's not a whole lot of appraisers around the country that that know much about mobile home parks and, and RV parks and campgrounds. So it's, it's a sort of a specialized niche. Um, so I joined BBG uh, last fall. So I head up their, their appraisal uh, wing, as you, as you may, um, that focuses on mobile home parks, RV parks slash campgrounds with sort of some variations and crossovers in between those asset classes. So the one, one neat thing about BBG is, as you said, we're nationwide. We, we get into all different metros. We've got offices all over the country. Um, but the other thing that, that's neat about our company is we also have an assessment department that does environmental surveys, uh, ALTA surveys, property condition reports, zoning reports. And, and all those things are important when you're talking about Fannie or Freddie loans, any of the agency debt. Uh, they require all those reports. Um, so we're kind of the one-stop shop for uh, all of those and the appraisal on top of it. And not a lot of other companies offer that sort of thing. So yeah, that's that's kind of my uh, my uh, sales pitch there and, and a little bit of background. Um, so let's, let's get started. We had a little conversation on LinkedIn about um, capital improvements. And, and this is a pretty common question. You acquire a park, um, need some work, need some turnaround. What can we kind of do to maximize our dollars, um, maximize the value of the property? And 
I kind of look at it a couple ways. I kind of look at it as there's things you should do and there's things you want to do. And those don't always jive. Um, you, you obviously want the nicest park in town, but it doesn't always make sense to, to do all the things to make it the nicest park. Um, the biggest the biggest test we have, we call it financial feasibility. And that's pretty, pretty standard language. Do the dollars I spend capitalize into value? Um, so there's a couple ways you can look at it. You can look at it as if I do this improvement, do my expenses go down? Or if I do this improvement, does my income go up? Or if I do this improvement, does the income go up and the expenses go down? Um, so there's, that's kind of different ways to look at it. And, and an example would be um, if I build back water and sewer, um, the overall expense likely to go down because tenants will use less if, if they're paying for their own. You might, might also get an income stream off of that uh, we see now in some states where you can actually bill back on private utilities. So, in uh, the standards are, are fairly straightforward, where you charge a rate similar to the municipalities in the area. Um, so, when you're on well and septic, you can actually bill back for water and sewer and actually earn a profit above and beyond what your cost to maintain those systems are. So that's a that that makes sense. Um, to submeter and, and build back water and sewer, that sort of thing. Um, we get questions a lot about roads. Um, one way to look at it is, are we constantly repairing the roads because they're so terrible? We're spending thousands of dollars every year to keep, keep uh, replacing sections. Is it better off to tear the whole thing up and start over and have very little maintenance for se several years? Um, so that could take away the expense side of it. And also could make the park look a lot nicer. Now, can I, can I jump in on that one? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because that, that's one that it comes up a lot, and not just obviously if I if I repair, if I replace my roads, my expenses go down, and it's nicer. But as the borrower, I'm curious what your opinion is on how does that impact my cap rate and my value? I mean, if I because I if I could spend two three thousand a year patching roads or two hundred thousand replacing them. Just from a pure cost analysis, it's probably better to just band-aid them every single year. But if it but if it comes in and the cap rate is your opinion, you're driving around, your the potholes are making you spill your coffee in your lap, and you get you get mad at me, or you think this is this looks like a crappy trailer park, you're gonna hit me with a seven cap instead of a five and a half cap. It behooves me to you know bite the bullet pre-appraisal, pre-refinance, and and pay for the roads. So I'm curious what your opinions on that and and how much so from a basis point adjustment that may have in the cap rate from something as, as, as major, the roads are one of the more expensive repairs you can have, especially a full re, you know, replacement. Yeah, it really is. And that, that question comes up all the time. Um, from a basis standpoint, you know, it might be anywhere from 50 to 200 basis points. And you kind of look at uh, one of the ways we get sales is, is, or cap rates, excuse me, is from properties that have sold. So generally, the nicer properties that have newer roads and, and newer infrastructure will sell at lower cap rates. Uh, so that's that's one side of the equation. And it, it's of course, fairly subjective. Um, the other side is, well, now we've got this really nice looking road. The park in general looks better. Would tenants pay a little more to live in that park than one with a gravel road? Uh, in most cases, the answer is yes. So we also have a little bit of income increase, whatever that number might be, if it's 25 a month or 50 a month. So there, there's kind of two sides to that equation versus just um, 
just the cap rate. And, and it's a hard question to answer, but, but overall, your park is going to be worth more if you put new roads in. Overall, now, overall probably, probably worth it, sounds like. In most cases, yes. And there's, I've seen situations where just acts of nature happen. Um, it was in North Dakota last year in, in a town where they had some frost issues over the winter. There's four or five parks in this town. All the roads were tore up because of the frost levels. They had some early snow and the water froze. So those owners were kind of stuck making those repairs, whether they wanted to or not, because the roads were so bad. Um, there's other places, if, if you get out into Wyoming and some of the states out west, some of those parks have gravel roads and some have nice paved roads and you don't see any difference in lot rent. So in those cases, um, it probably doesn't make sense to pave a road if, if you have to start from scratch. Right. Um, you, you probably got to maintain one that's already there. Sure. Um, but if you're not seeing that financial side of it, uh, this doesn't make sense to do it. What about seal coat? I know, I mean, obviously fixing the road base and the asphalt is going to make it a smoother, more uniform surface for, for transit, but seal, I've seal coat before and it, it looks great for about a month and it's like jet black, like McDonald's parking lot. And after a month, I'm like, what did I pay for? You know, just, do you get, does it make sense for me to spend money on seal coat the week before you get there? Or are you going to be like, no, this is just black paint? Um, that, that's a little harder question to answer. If, if you have an office building, it certainly makes everything look really nice and the tenants appreciate that and you strike the lines and right. maybe not as much on a mobile home park, um, but it, it kind of depends on your maintenance budget too um, and that sort of thing and, and what you're going for there. Um, so, but yeah, overall the roads is, is kind of the, the major expense there. Um, another one we see um, is the utilities. Um, I've seen situations where uh, parks had individual septics for each home. Um, I appraised a park that had, I want to say about 20 individual septics, a portion of the park, um, but they were spending a significant amount of money pumping those tanks. There was no drain field. Um, mm -hmm. So the owner decided to put in an entirely new system, one tank and drain field for that, uh, those 20 sites at a cost of about $150,000. But in that case, because of the reduction in expenses, the value of the park went up about 200,000. So that was pretty clear that that was a, a, good, a good choice there. And eventually that choice would have had to be made because the, the, the septics were just failing. That's a good point on septic. We just bought a park a couple months ago with septic and it, it, the tanks actually failed during our due diligence and we were able to get the seller to replace them. So now we got a good brand new, brand new tanks and a, a nice field um, for the leach field and everything. But I want to talk about cap rates as it pertains to private utilities. I get asked this question all the time. I analyze this question on this all the time on my own deals is what kind of spread, let's, let's say that the, the new norm is a seven cap. Uh, if city water, city sewer, what kind of, increase am I going to see in my cap rate if I have, I kind of have a number in my head, but I mean, I'd love to hear the number of yours if it's septic, if it's lagoon, if it's wastewater treatment plant, if it's well, and then we can go on to some other categories like master metered electric or master metered gas, which are more rare, but you know, can be scary as well from a buyer perspective. I mean, everybody knows the the ideal scenario is city water, city sewer, direct bill. Yeah. And here, here's the, I've grown to kind of not like this question anymore. 
because it, it's so loaded. Uh, and, <laughs> this and, is and being it, recorded for the record. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and some, I think some investors just kind of want, you know, justification for what they're paying or, or to feel good about it. Um, in general, uh, properties with private utilities will sell at at least a slightly higher cap rate. And as you get into, well, for example, well water in the Midwest, that's very common. Um, not much of a difference there. Uh, septic is very common. Now, if you have more septic that you have higher costs associated with that, that's probably a bigger issue. And then as you get into lagoons and treatment plants, it's gonna go up from there. So I don't have a perfect answer for that, um, but it, it's somewhere higher. No, you sound like you sound like a lawyer. I'm just gonna let you know. You sound like <laughs> it depends. You know, come on, man. I mean, I need a number. It's I need to get. Uh, well, it's uh, and everybody watching is writing down trying to. Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, I'm literally like because um, I, I have my opinion in underwriting, and I don't even mind telling you after. But you have to answer first. But yeah, but I, I I've seen underwriting where where uh, people add fifty or hundred basis points for well and septic, and and even up to two hundred basis points. The, the other side of that discussion is the market is so competitive right now to find parks. Uh, sometimes you don't even see a difference in private versus public. Um, a lot of parks in Ohio are on wastewater treatment plants. Uh, and you, they're kind of all around the same general cap rates versus um, municipal. Uh, but that's kind of what you have to do to buy a park in Ohio uh, from stuff we've seen. So it, it, it's a really hard question. I don't have a great answer. So somewhere a little bit higher. Um, now, I, I, I actually ran into a park recently where they were on a lagoon system and the owner decided he was getting ready to sell. So he actually put in conventional septic and filled the lagoon. And in that case, that probably made the difference in, in selling and not selling because uh, there's, so, there's such a limited field of people who would, who would um, take on that lagoon system because it's it just kind of a thing people don't understand and, and don't want to get into. Uh, so, so that case, it was um, you know a little more cut and dry that this park is definitely more sellable um, because it's got septic than lagoon. So what that cap rate meant, I don't know. Um, no, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great point. I mean, I think it's, it's changing a bunch. Um, I know I used to have a lagoon in Illinois and I went to the Frank Ross boot camp. I already had three or four parks and I went to boot camp and he said, he scared me out of lagoons, but I got home on Monday morning and I sold that, put that park for sale. And I saw, I don't want a lagoon in Illinois because it was also five miles out of town, small, sure. 18, small 18 lot park. It's like, if I have to hook up city sewer, that's going to cost more than the whole park's worth. You know, I can't afford that. So I got kind of scared at the moment. I learned to try to understand private utilities more, but I'm with you on the, the, the cap rate increase uh, in, in general, but yeah, some people just, just put a big red X on Lagoon. And I, I think it's, it was about 90% industry two or three years ago. I feel like people are having to loosen their standards because you mentioned market competitiveness. If you want to get in the game, you gotta, you're not going to find, it's hard to find that, you know, public utility direct bill, eight cap, 50 plus pads, no park owned homes, 100,000 Metro, 100,000 single family home price, thousand dollar apartment rent. like. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. That, they're, they're, they're hard. They're hard to find. They're hard to find on the market. You go off market once in a while, but yeah, they're hard to find. But so I mean, you alluded to it, and we're talking. We're talking around it a little bit. But what are you seeing in the marketplace? Um, I, I know what I'm seeing, but I, I want your perspective on, on as far as cap rates, uh, you know, new money, new new buyers, um, pricing, everything like that. 
Yeah, um, very aggressive buying field out there now. A lot of new investors in the field, uh, a lot of new funds in the field, um, things like that. Uh, definitely cap rates have compressed over the last few years. Uh, and that's a combination of more buyers and also money's really cheap right now and probably will continue to be um, with all the, all the things going on in the world. Um, but definitely some very aggressive buyers. Uh, we see some prices that just absolutely don't make any sense. Super low cap rates in, in small areas um, that, that just doesn't fit uh, what you think a typical investor would pay. And, you know, we dig into that as best we can. We, we try to talk to the buyers and sellers or brokers to, to get the motivation. And, and sometimes you see, um, look, we had 1031 money. We had to stick it somewhere. We know we overpaid but we're happy with the investment. So we overpaid. Oh, well. Um, and, and that happens more and more. Now um, on these low cap rates, I mean, I'm curious on this, are these low caps, are people paying, when you say low, is it two cap, three cap, or is it four cap, five cap? And is it on stabilized deals where there's limited up, upside or is it paying a one cap? Like I paid a, I paid a zero cap one time because there, there was negative NOI, but it had 50, 60 vacant lots in a good market. So I was like, Okay, on, on the NOI, I'm paying infinite cap rate, but within three, four years, I'll be at 15, so I can stomach it. So there, and there was upside as opposed to if it was 99% occupied and I paid two cap, there's, I better have really cheap cost capital because there's nowhere to go but flat. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so if, if I see like a five, a five, five and a half, something like that, uh, in most markets that has, that has a little bit of meat left on the bone, there's some upside in rents or filling sites stuff like that. Um, but if you get in a major metro, you might see a five on a stabilized park. Uh, but generally you get away from the metros a little bit. That deal has some upside there. That's, that's kind of what we see on those. Um, but I, I've seen deals that just not operated anywhere near what they should be. Um, they're overpaying for the payroll, uh, not reporting all the income. You, you basically have a negative cash flow Right. Uh, so there really isn't a cap rate. So you're going to have to go off a realistic pro, pro forma uh, to see where to see where that comes out at. And, and when we talk about cap rates, everybody kind of analyzes those a little bit differently. Um, some people use management fees or replacement reserves. Others don't. So you kind of got to weed through those and see what's the real NOI. Now, if, if you're looking at an appraisal, we use the management fees and replacement reserves. Lenders want to see that and they expect to see that. That's what I would think is 5% management, 2% reserves, plus or minus. That's is that about where you're at? Um, it, it depends. I've seen three to six on management. Um, and, and that number can go down a little bit the higher your, your effective gross income goes. Um, and and yeah. I like what you said about percentages, because um, that's an interesting topic. Um, a lot of people in the industry talk about, well, it's 35% of effective income. It's 40%. And they analyze deals like that. I tell people to manually underwrite, um, and, and here's why. If, if you buy a park and you're at $200 lot rent, uh, and, and it's way under market, and in two or three years, you're going to be up to $400, likely your insurance expense has not gone up. Right. Likely your salary for your manager has not gone up or hasn't doubled. Um, probably cost you the same to plow the roads two years from now, even though your income's doubled. Those type of things. So if we just get stuck on these percentages, I think you might miss out a little bit. You're over. You're almost um, kind of cutting yourself short 
on the upside, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but but it's it's standard industry talk. We're always talking about percentages. So I think it's lazy, frankly. I agree with you. I mean, we've got 20 different rows. I see them. It's like, oh, we've got insurance, taxes, management, miscellaneous repair or other. I'm like, we go through and get bids and we, you know, are you going to file tax return? Okay, well, what's your CPA fee going to be? Are you going to have any evictions here? What's your legal fee? Are you going to do any marketing? You're going to have high feather flags? You're going to have road repair? You're going to have tree trimming? You're going to have mowing? And just go through the whole, yeah. Some of the banks make you put life insurance in the borrower. That's in there. You obviously got property casual. Live, you can have workers' comp. You're going to have overhead, you bookkeeper. Um, are you going to put it beside reserves? All these things. I see people just, yeah, per spray percentage. But I was, yeah, you hear the norms, you know, 30%, the tenants pay the water 40%. Landlord pays the water, but is that that's upon stabilization? The biggest wild card in there, in my opinion, is your property tax bill. Oh, absolutely, I, I agree. Um, and and if people don't know about Wisconsin, um, every township, municipality, village, city in Wisconsin has a different assessor. Right. Um, it's it's fairly unusual. So consistency is non-existent. So and a, pretty, and a pretty high property tax rate levy because you have low sales tax. You have no yes, local sales tax. Yes, I, absolutely. I work so, so trying to predict where those taxes might go can be difficult. Um, now, across the board, in all the states we work in, um, we'll use tax comparables if, if available. Um, we'll also look at properties that have sold. What did the taxes do a year or two after that sale to kind of get some trends? And it's not always possible to get trends. Um, I looked at a park one time in Minnesota. It was the only park in the county. Now there was six or seven parks across the state line in North Dakota. But when you're talking about a different state, a lot of one different county, really tough to, to make a judgment there. Um, and the, the bank was of course concerned about where it might have gone. Um, and, and what we ended up doing on that one, there was a prior sale of the subject from three or four years before, and the assessment went up, I'm just going to make numbers up, maybe 5%. So we said, well, that's what happened last time. It's the same assessor. Maybe it'll go up 5% this time. But, but the thing I, I like to talk about, too, if you look at the actual expense of the taxes, if they do go up, a lot of times you can make that up with a really small increase in rental revenue. 10, 15, $20 a month. Um, so even if your taxes double, it, it doesn't take you long to, to make that back up. Yeah, and I think so. some states, depending on your lease, you can pass the taxes through, even the real estate taxes, but it's, a, it's still a practical problem is your residents only have so much disposable income. So just like, yeah, water, just like water, sewer, or any, any sort of expense, you know, you're, I'm rooting for my tenants to save money, right? They, they're better credit borrowers, better credit tenants, and and then, and then future increases are more palatable and practical. But yeah, Texas is the one I'm biased coming from having been a tax assessor, and I've seen the, the, the innards of the process, and it uh, it could totally change the deal on a real estate investment. Yeah, and, and we get calls about appealing the taxes or appealing the assessment, and, and always the first question is. Well, would you sell it for what it's assessed for? And it's almost always, no, I'd sell it for way more than that. Then you really don't have an argument. You can't go in, in front of them and say, well, I think it's worth twice as much, but uh, lower my assessment. Uh, just just doesn't hold a lot of weight there. Definitely definitely makes it tougher. I had a, used to be a business partner and we had a, I don't know where it was at actually. I think it was in Lee Summit, Missouri. And he's like, 
he had a bunch of retail pad sites and I was his broker. I was trying to sell them. And then he had me go do the, he was, go do the tax appeal. And I said, you realize you've got these listed on LoopNet at a million dollars. <laughs> they just raised our assessment from 200 to 230. Mm-hmm. And you got them listed for a million. You realize the county assessment department has access to LoopNet. You're like, oh, well, can we take the price down? Like, it's a little late for that. You know, they've already, right. you know, better to, better to just suck it up and eat the expense. It's like 15% increase. Like, better just eat it than go, you know, rattle the cake. Yep, definitely. Um, another thing, you know, kind of talk about the market in general, um, definitely seeing an uptick in prices on new homes. Uh, talked to an investor a couple of weeks ago. He told me that same model, uh, 16 by 80, uh, this year versus last year was about seven to $9,000 more for the exact same, same home. Uh, and, and I think you're seeing that across the board just with construction costs, slowdowns because of COVID, different reasons. Uh, and also I hear a lot that uh, used homes are a lot harder to find now, um, mainly because there's so many turnaround parks and people are just trying to find whatever they can get that's reasonable to get into their parks. So those are two kind of interesting uh, discussions as far as what's going on when you talk about the infill part of the turnaround part. And, and that's, of course, a, it's a big part of the industry now. Sure. Yeah, it's, it, I, I see it every single day. It's just used homes are harder to find, more expensive. New homes, it's like impossible to get them at this right now. And if you can't get them, they're, they're 30 plus percent higher than they were a year ago. It's just, I don't think it's sustainable from an affordable housing standpoint. We'll see if it changes. Uh, another trend I've seen, um, not everywhere, but I've, I've seen it and I've lost out on a few bids. I'm curious where, if you're, how much you're seeing is, you know, two, three, four years ago, the conventional wisdom was if, the, if, a, if a lot is vacant, it's basically worthless. So if you're, you're running your valuation based on in-place income, in-place NOI, vacant lot has frankly a negative value almost because mm-hmm. you got to mow it and you got to pay insurance and taxes on it. I'm seeing people pay 50% in some instances of future value of the vacant lot as if it's full. And I'm seeing people pay pro forma rents. You know, you just bought a deal in Iowa and rents were 500 in the market current on the home on the park was 400 and it was priced as if the rents were already 500 but it, yeah. I, I didn't think it was practical to go from 400 to 500 in a single year obviously there was a a runway to get there in the next three or four years and and, and then the, the 500 was going to likely go up in three or four years so there's definitely room for rent increase but if the pricing felt offensive to me like man you're already wanting me to pay at 500 and we'd pay 50 cents, 50 cents on the dollar for the vacant lots and a six cap. That's like a three cap on actual, you know? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen that, uh, especially in the last year or so. Um, I've seen where, let's say the park based on actual is worth uh, 3 million. Um, and once it's infilled and raised to market, it's worth seven, eight. Uh, someone will go in and pay 4 million uh, for that as is. They almost, are giving up, you know, a chunk of that profit or upside just to get the deal. And a lot of that goes to there's just not enough deals out there and, and so many buyers. So that's, that's real world. Um, yeah. And, and, and we see so many of these off market too. Uh, and there, there's good deals on market too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but probably the best stuff is still off market if you can find them and, and they're out there. There's, there's still a lot of mom and pops that are sure running and operating their parks and they'll eventually come up for sale. 
that sort of thing. So there, there's still stuff out there, but definitely harder to find than it was a few years ago. Let me, on your, I want to ask about your example, the, you know, and I, I, that, it's funny you mentioned, I think we looked at the same park because I thought it was worth three million, the upside was seven and somebody else paid four. And I said, it's not bankable, you know, because it's not going to praise it for, and then it's not get a loan on four. And the other guy just said, I don't care, paid cash. And there was no bank, right? So you can, you can do that. I didn't happen to have $4 million laying around with nowhere to go. <laughs> um, yeah. Believe it or not. Um, how would you have appraised that part? If the bank did the loan, obviously you're going to get a purchase contract that says four million. Um, and I always joke about appraisers, no offense, but I said, if we wanted to see how good appraisers really work their job, we wouldn't give them a copy of the purchase contract and we'd see what their number is. Right. A lot of times they hit, they just, they just happen to hit the number, um, which is a borrower. You're like, great they hit the number. But in this instance, if we, if I'm the borrower and I know I'm overpaying, you're the appraiser, you know, I'm overpaying. The loan is based on 75% of 4 million. So 3 million. Mm -hmm. We all need this appraisal to hit four million. How often do you say it's going to? Is it going to hit the four? Which quote well, might be the new market? And maybe so this your, value, or so, is it going to hit three? And I'm going to bring a whole bunch of cash to closing. Yeah. So then the question becomes: Well, what's your what's your cap rate going in? What are you using for that three million? Are you using a seven, which is basically a stabilized cap rate, where we've got sales, you know, based on actuals that show three or four cap rates because there's so much upside. Yep. So. Uh, there's not an easy answer to that question. And, and sometimes deals just absolutely make, make no sense. And you just call it what it is. The right. thing's $2 million they're paying for. They want to buy it and overpay. Great. Yeah. Uh, but, but more and more, we're getting requests from lenders to give a stabilized or, or value per completion once they infill and turn the park around. And I'm not privy to those discussions as, as to how the lenders finance those then. Um, you know, if it's once it's stabilized, it's worth seven. How do they structure that loan? I'm, I'm not sure, uh, but definitely uh, probably the last six or seven I've done. Um, that was the request. You know, once this thing's full, what's it worth? Now, the hard part about that is, OK, what's the market in three years? Sure. We have to kind of assume it's at least it's good as it is now, if not better. Uh, otherwise, none of these numbers are going right. to be worth anything. I think everybody agrees that that's where it's going, though, isn't it? I haven't heard anybody say mobile home park business is going to get worse. Um, no, no, absolutely not. Go up. Uh, and, and we're seeing in, in different areas of the country, you're actually seeing start from scratch, um, basically like a residential development, mobile home parks. We haven't seen any of those or not a significant number for years. We saw a few expansions over the years, but now you're seeing, um, and, and one of the publications had an article on that. Uh, was it Mobile Home Insider? Their monthly publication had a nice article on some some new parks, yeah. um, so that's an interesting trend. Um, and I think overall, you're seeing kind of more leeway from a lot of the municipalities because and more acceptance for the asset class as far as yeah, let's give permits to this operator to expand. He's running a nice operation, or um, let's let's give them a permit to to build a new mobile home park, and it's going to be you know, basically like a subdivision and not kind of the stereotypical mobile home park. So we're seeing more of that. I, I think that's going to continue because the, the spread between the affordability of mobile homes or manufactured homes uh, and, and stick-built homes, is it, it's greater and greater every year. So I think we'll see more of those new developments popping up. Great. Eric, before we go, I want to hear, you got any more tips or tricks for us as borrowers of things we can do 
before you know, before the appraiser shows up to maximize value, whether it's plant yeah. plant fell hours, obviously clean up trash, cut off the tongues. What kind of tips do you have that push value you know, legitimately on borrower's end? Um, so as as far as a a, a numbers side, get the books cleaned up. We we still see a lot of park owned home expenses run with with the park as far as maintenance and even income. We'll just get a, a statement. Here's the income. It's got everything lumped together. Um, so then we have to make some assumptions and sort that out uh, as accurately as we can. So that's the thing we still see a lot. Um, and, and, you know, just general appearance of your park matters. Um, you know, do you have signage so people can find your manager? I, I still see that a lot, which surprises me because signs are relatively inexpensive way to, to advertise. Sure. Um, I still see, you know, like a handwritten piece of wood, so-and-so mobile home park. Okay, if I'm trying to come and look at homes, how am I gonna know who to call or who to email or how do I know where to find the manager? And um, I've been in situations where I, I gotta drive around and find somebody walking around to find out where the manager is. And it's lot 79, there's no sign, there's no office, anything like that. And that really surprises me because those are really simple things to do uh, to just kind of improve the park and, and uh, find new tenants. Yeah, makes sense. That's good, Eric. Anything else before we part? And if if not, uh, how can we find you after this episode? Oh, yeah. So um, my email address is ehanson, H-A-N-S-O-N, at ebgres.com. Um, so you can email me and you want to talk about mobile home parks and we didn't even get into campgrounds or RV parks. That's a whole nother discussion. Um, that's over my pay grade. Yeah. Well, that's probably over mine sometimes too. That's a, that's a just whole different world. Well, I will ask you before I go, and I didn't mention RV. I will ask you this way before we part then, because I'm looking at a park that's a mobile home park, but it's got about 30% RV. How are you, how do you value that, that RV income different than the MH income if different? I mean, let's assume that they're quasi-permanent RVs, not transient like a campground. Yeah, it's do a good you, I get a different camp rate on that. I know I get different lending terms. Um, and I, do I get a different expense ratio? Uh, probably, probably yes to all three questions there. Um, probably a little higher cap rate just because those tenants could pull out at any time. Um, we certainly look at the historical income, income to try to gather some trends on what are we actually seeing for, for RV space rent in that park. Um, it's sort of like an additional income, uh, like pet fees or plate fees or something like that, but it can be pretty extensive and, and kind of in general, the more RV side of it you have, uh, the higher the cap rate, but not always. We see RV parks that are all all permanent sites or, or seasonal sites that sell at six or seven caps down in the south and southwest. Uh, you know, so sometimes some of those are even even more aggressive than mobile home parks. Uh, but yeah, kind of kind of a blended one is going to be a little bit higher cap rate, and you, just in general, you have more management and, and labor and things like that with it. I think I'm on the same page. It's, I got, now I need you to call the broker and tell him that we're right and he needs to lower his price. So. <laughs> I I learned I learned a long time ago. I can't talk brokers out of anything, so no. I, I don't even try. And, yeah, and I've got broker friends. No way. I wish I had their level of optimism on pricing. <laughs> yeah, but but no, I get it. You know, if you're buying, try to buy off market. If you're selling, absolutely pick one of the 
one of the good brokers out there and, and maximize your your exit there. It makes sense to me. But and I've I've got a friend who's a broker and, and I, he called me one time on this deal and I was super excited. It was in my hometown. It's like 110 pads. This is the lot rent. This is the, this. And I'm like doing the quick math and I'm like, I'm getting up, I'm putting my jacket on. I'm like, I'm going right now. It's like 15 minutes from my, from my house. And I go, how much is it? And he tells me, and I was like, wait a second, that, that's like a 2.5 cap. He goes, yeah, well, and I sit back down, I take off my jacket. I was like, <laughs> what the heck, man? He said, well, let's just say, and I told him, I go, what the heck? And he's like, let's just say the price that we listed it at was the price that it took to get the listing, not the price we thought it was worth. Sure. And, and that's, I get it. That's I, I get it too. I, I see that, but like, from the, from the really good brokers that have been around a long time or, or sell a lot of parks or RV parks, they, that's not their strategy. They know that they're just wasting everybody's time. Okay. So um, yeah, but, but we see it too. You see, and, and I, I tell people if something's been out there for sale for a long time, there's a reason for it. It's either overpriced or, Got some major issues, so kind of be cautious on that. Yep. All right, Eric, this is fun. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll catch up down the road. All right, take care. All right, thanks. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.